Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet and I'm here with Rachel Nadel. What's going on, Rachel? Not much, Chris. I'm excited to, to be here. What's what's new with you? Well, I've had a couple exciting things happen recently in um, in my professional life that I don't think I've shared on the podcast yet. I don't think I've, I think you are aware because I think you may have seen it on social media, but not necessarily like you and I have had a conversation about it. So something that's interesting that happened relatively recently is that uh, I was working, well, you know, I've got a new book coming out, right? Uh, It's called Inclusive Learning 365, EdTech Strategies for Every Day of the Year. And that's written with Mike Marotta, Beth Poss, and Karen Janowski. And so I call them the book crew. You know what I mean? This is the crew that I'm writing the book with. And we were meeting with ISTE, which is our publisher, the International Society for Technology and Education. And we were having a marketing meeting. Uh, We were talking about, you know, how do we get the word out about this book? And in that meeting, as we were chatting, um, Karen actually asked, she said, can you tell us what are your, ISTE, you have a pretty big library. Like, how big is your library? And they're like, well, we have 90 books. And uh, she said, well, what are your, like, three best-selling books, you know, this past year. And so they're like, hmm, okay. And they open it up. And number three on their list is the new assistive tech, Make Learning Awesome for All, which had come out like in 2018. So here now in 2021, it's still in the top three. For a while there, I knew it was number two. And so it dropped to number three. But still in the middle of the pandemic um, or throughout the pandemic, uh, it still seems to be up there holding its own in the in the top five of the ISTE catalog, which I said is like 90, 90 books deep. And then it occurred to me, Rachel, that if it can stick up there for a little while, our new book will be coming out. And there's a chance, just a slight possible chance, my name will be on two books within the top five of their ISTE catalog. Um, and ISTE is like a really big, it's the International Society for Technology and Education. It's like the biggest ed tech. And it, sometimes it just kind of blows my mind, like, what? My name on that book? You know, like, you know, we've talked about imposter syndrome before, like, I'm on two books, you know? So it was pretty exciting. It was pretty exciting to know that the new assistive tech continues to do well, is still has legs, is um, still very relevant, uh, and it still focuses on topics that are that the pandemic really shined a light on that these things were needed. And I think that helped even uh, drive people more to, to buy the book. So that's what's going on. That's something that's going on with me. Well, I'm really excited to hear that. I feel like everybody listening should go and pre-order Chris's book. We're going to link to the show, link in the show notes. I'm already pre-ordered. Actually, what's funny, Chris, is that when you first sent it to me, I was like, I'm going to pre-order. And then I realized, like, I don't think I actually did. <laughs> but actually, I have done it. <laughs> I have confirmed that I am on the pre-order list. So I'm just anticipating getting this book soon because I know it's going to come out soon. We just don't know exactly when. Um, I also can vouch for your first book that you mentioned, The New Assistive Tech, Make Learning Awesome for All. I love that book. I make my team read it. And I think it's incredibly relevant. And I mean, obviously I'm biased because like you're my AAC bestie, but I think you write it in a way that's really easy to understand, um, really fun and engaging. And I can't say enough good things about your books. So if you guys are listening, you need to get Chris's books. You know, and Rachel, just another point there is that um, recently the federal government has kind of uh, explained that there will be funds coming to public schools um, to, is in an attempt to um, kind of help with all of what people are calling learning loss. I'm not sure I agree with that term, but um, 
anyway, funds will be coming to schools. And one of the things that people can use those funds for are professional learning. And what a better way than buying books for people where you can read one strategy a day for an entire year and then reread it because you won't remember all the strategies. You know, that will that'll be a, a tool that you can continue to use. And so we're a advocating that people you know, consider buying our book um, with this heirs funds or funds you get from the government because of the pandemic. And I also just mentioned that one of the problematic things with technology is that it's ever changing, right? Like the technology is always getting updated. Tools are changing all the time, but strategies stay forever. And so that's the most important thing. And we talked about this, Chris, it hasn't aired yet, but we did a coaching call and we talked a lot about this idea of thinking along the lines of the strategies instead of thinking about the specific tools. Um, and I feel like this kind of plays into that a little bit in the sense that, you know, the strategies are what's important. The strategies don't change. It's the tools that are kind of like cycling in and out, uh, but the strategies are the glue that we, you know, holds it all together. 100%. And there's the first part of the book, we go deep into that kind of talking about why we uh, designed the book with the way we did so that the tools come at the end. Um, and and so yeah, that's exactly what this book is all about. So Chris, where can you get the book? You can sign up to get the book over at inclusive365.com. We have a, a Google form where you can sign up if you want to kind of sign up for the newsletter. We have all sorts of information there. We have a free webinar there that we did, our, our party. Remember the holiday parties there? Um, all sorts of stuff over there already for free, but then you can also pre-order the book from there as well. So that's inclusive365.com. And so Rachel, what's going on with you recently? So Chris, we're about to close down the doors for AAC Ally, which is my course that I first launched in January and we reopened it. I got so many people on the wait list that I just felt like I had to open this again so people can have access to it. Uh, we also updated it with a whole new hour of content all toward, geared towards early intervention in AAC, which actually I feel like isn't a topic that's talked about enough. Um, I think that it's kind of like uh, still like we understand this idea of like, yes, like AAC earlier. I think that like most people, especially in the AAC, you know, in our AAC bubble, Chris, I feel like most people are like, yes, like get kids started earlier. But like, what does that actually look like? Like, how do you actually do that? Right. And so I asked myself, like, how do I actually do that? And so that's kind of where this content came from, this new additional hour. Um, and so anyway, really excited that um, the course has done so well. We have like well over 600 clinicians who have joined the course. And let's talk about imposter syndrome for a second, because I created this course thinking like it might help some people, but I wasn't sure if people would buy it. I think anytime there's like a, a price tag attached to something, there's this fear that like people don't value it enough to pay for it. Like we have a podcast that has thousands of listeners, but like it's a free podcast. Like people don't have to pay a cent to listen to this podcast. Um, so that feels safe. I'm just like, yeah, I'm just like sharing content. It's free, check it out. But the moment you're like, I created this and now there's a price attached to it. Um, I had a lot of fear associated with this. Even like when I was sharing it with, I shared it with, of course, you and 
a lot of other uh, affiliates, uh, Rachel Langley, Lauren Enders, like all of like, you know, my, my AAC besties, I was like, Hey, I'm about to launch this course. Like I'm going to give you access to it. I'd love to hear feedback. Um, and even that made me nervous, which is interesting. Cause I'm like, I present all the time. So it's not like, you know, these people haven't heard my content. They haven't listened to the podcast. They haven't watched me present. Um, but there was just something attached to that, like price point, that like money thing that like caused a lot of anxiety. Um, so I think that, you know, I'm sharing this to say that even though I present all the time and I share content freely and openly regularly, um, I think that whenever we're trying to like, you know, create a business or this idea of like something that's paid, I think that we can have a lot of fear associated with that. And I think that's normal. Um, and so it, it means even more that so many people have joined because I was so afraid that I was going to launch this course and like no one was going to see value in it enough to pay for it. Mm -hmm. But they did. So at the time of at the time of this airing, you can't actually get to AAC Ally like you've already had to sign up. Um, are you thinking like somewhere in the future you might re-release it and say, OK, yeah, I'm in. I want to learn more about this. Yes. So you can go to the link bit.ly backslash AAC ally and you can sign up for the waitlist. So that's part of the reason that I opened it again was because we had so many people sign up for the waitlist that I felt like, okay, like people really want this. I'm going to open it back up. Um, I likely will be opening it again in the beginning of next school year. So in the fall, um, the reason, and people ask like, why is it not just open all the time? Um, there's reasons for that. I, my team and I don't have the bandwidth to like deal with all the tech troubleshooting and all the questions and all those things all the time. Um, and so it was a decision that we made to kind of open the course for a set amount of time and then close it back down. Um, I also add new content. So like I, the way I envision this is, you know, I have this course and I'm just going to keep adding to it and creating content. The early intervention was really created because that's what people were asking about. Like, what do I do with young kids? Like, what do I do when parents don't like buy into this because, you know, I'm working with a kid who's two and a half. Um, and so that's the exciting thing is like, I create the content. I have like access to all the people that are in AAC Ally. I can talk to them. They ask me questions and they can drive kind of what content I'm creating for the course. Um, so I'm really excited because it's going to continue to grow and uh, evolve in ways that hopefully meet everyone's needs. And I've gotten so much great feedback. Like Chris, you know, when we like present at conferences or like events, there's always people who have something negative to say. There's always someone who's like, Rachel, talk too fast. Or like, this wasn't the content that I thought, or like it was too beginner or, you know, all these things. There's always someone who says something negative, which, you know, you have to get used to at first when you start presenting, like, it's a little like, oh, like I hate the negative comments, but then you realize that you always get them. So it's not a big deal. I haven't had any negative comments from this. I'm like waiting. I know like at some point someone's going to say something, but I'm still like waiting. Like who's going to be the person who like buys this and doesn't like it. Um, I also have like a 30 day money back guarantee, which makes me sound like a car salesman. Um, but like I, I am waiting for someone to be like, give me my money back. Um, luckily I haven't had that experience yet, but it's just kind of crazy. I'm like, there has to be something, right? Like something like wasn't resonating with someone or, but it feels really nice to get the validation that people are enjoying it and learning from it. And like to read the reviews, I'm just like, 
it makes me feel really good that people are really learning and the content that I created, people are seeing value in and are learning from and sharing and you know, that was the whole goal. Well, you know, I'm a fan, you know, I mean, I, I participated in the course and watched uh, all of it and, and uh, experienced all of it. And, and I was really skeptical at first, because I'm, you know, I know you make usually make up stuff on the fly and don't really plan very well. Uh, no, no, I'm kidding. Of course, I knew how well it was going to be organized and how, uh, how in depth it was going to be. And you didn't disappoint, you know, you for someone that goes on a podcast uh, every week, you kind of know what you're going to get. Um, and so I, I got exactly what I was expecting, you know, so well done. Well done, Rachel Madel. Thank you, Chris Bougay. I appreciate that. And you know, what was interesting is like one of the benefits of the course is that it goes, it follows a case study of a client that I did an assessment with. I did this assessment virtually. So part of the course is like, how can you do this virtually? It also happens that like all the things I do virtually can be applied in person because um, it's really a framework with how to get teams on board with the you know, uh, AAC selection process. Um, but what's interesting too is the early intervention piece. It's the same kid. I got videos because kind of a little bit of a backstory. This this student that I was working with, I started when he was, I think, one and a half or two. He was very young. And I worked with them only for like two, maybe three months. And then they moved to Northern California. And I was like, just in the process of like, let's start talking about AAC. Let me start like setting the, the, the groundwork here because he's not making progress. Um, he also showed some, some red flags for autism. And... Anyway, I like, it's so cool because then eventually mom circled back to me. I started working with the family again, and then we ended up doing an AAC assessment. And I feel like the moral of the story is we could have started right away and think about where he would have been if I had started, um, if I had the you know opportunity to continue working with them um, and integrating all of this AAC into the mix. So it's really cool how it kind of ended up being like a really cool case study over time. The mom was so gracious. She was like, record everything, share everything. Like as more, more people that can benefit from this, the better, um, which is always nice when you have people that are willing to share. So it just ended up being really great. So hit us with the URL one more time if people want to get on the waiting list. Yeah, it's bit.ly backslash AAC ally. So Chris, what's our interview today? So our interview today is someone who reached out with a question about the um, specific language system first approach and how to transition to that in a school district. So I said, hey, rather than have, you know, a bunch of emails back and forth, want to get out and talk about it? So this is a conversation with Amy Fleischer and Corinne Nelson talking about the specific language system first approach. Oh, and this is the first part of a two-part episode. Enjoy. Hey there! If you love listening to this podcast, we would be so, so grateful for your support to keep it going. By becoming a Patreon member, you can not only help us cover the cost of this podcast, but you can get some really great bonus content as well. We post video tutorials, behind-the-scenes recordings, and bonus segments from our interviews. We would love for you to join us by going to patreon.com slash talkingwithtech. That's patreon.com slash talkingwithtech. So welcome to the Talking With Tech podcast. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here with two people today. One is Amy Fleischer, and the other is Corinne Nelson. Am I saying those names right? Got it. Excellent, yep. excellent. Well, welcome to the show. 
Thanks. Thank you. Great to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourselves. You know, who are you? What do you do? And then maybe share the story of how this recording came about. All right. Um, I'll go first. I'm Amy Fleischer, and I'm an occupational therapist and an AT specialist. Um, the AT part is the primary part of my role right now in a school district in Washington. I have been in the schools for three years, and before that, I was working as an OT in long-term care with adults with progressive neurological conditions and doing other AT-related activities, and I just really love that angle of practice of looking at the environment and um, adapting things and maximizing you know, function that way. So that's the attitude that I've brought to the schools, and it's been a wonderful few years of getting getting saturated in the school setting. And just real quick, Amy, is so are you working in a new school district then to, to you, or Indeed. have you been I in the made, same place for a while? Thanks for asking. I made the leap. Um, I was in a, a different district for the previous two years, and it was a really, um, I was in the right place at the right time. And so even though I was coming from outside of schools, I found my groove because the district was just ready for a lot of changes and it was a really exciting year or two years. And then now um, <laughs> during COVID times I've moved. And so I've come into a new district and I haven't had the good fortune of meeting my colleagues in person yet. I am only, we're mostly virtual. Our students are back, but um, I'm just doing some, some occasional observations and most of my collaboration is done virtually. And Corinne? Hi, um, I am a speech language pathologist and have been working in the schools for about 10 years now. Um, I've dabbled in other pediatric uh, outpatient clinics and doing a little bit of adults, but primarily my focus has been with the schools and I've worked in the same school district for 10 years now. So um, took a couple leaves for having some babies, but I'm now back and as Amy said, everything is pretty much virtual this year, which has been new. Um, Amy reached out and asked if any of the SLPs in our district were willing to come to this. And here I am <laughs> joining you guys today. So I'm excited to learn what, what you have to offer and discuss different things. Cool. So am I hearing correctly that you two have never been in the same room together? You only know each other through Zoom rooms or Google Meets Zoom. or whatever. Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm so thrilled to work with Corinne because we there are some students on her caseload who, you know, could really benefit from our combined efforts. And we've already had the chance to do some more meaningful collaboration, it feels like to me. So I'm really excited for what will come when we have the chance to work together. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right. So and then you reached out, right, Amy? Tell us about that. Indeed. I had heard the episode with Eric Inger about the um, specific language system first approach. And it really caught my attention because at the time I was looking at making our AT process more coherent and more efficient. Um, we were shifting away from evaluations towards AT considerations. And I was just trying to build capacity in our district for making those decisions about assistive tech. So I forwarded that episode to my SLP colleague. She got really excited. And because she already was ready with all this interest and information, she and a group of SLPs launched basically um, an initiative to, it, it seemed very similar. So we wound up having universal core boards across the district. 
And we selected Proloquo to go as kind of the first stop when students needed a higher tech AAC system. And of course, we also had um, switches and you know, all kinds of other equipment involved. And, and then it was never, you weren't locked into that. But I saw the positive results from having a more consistent approach across the district. I was just blown away by the trainings that she was providing in aided language input. And um, it felt to me like we were, we were advancing all of our skills. Our students were doing better, but um, two years is not that long. So I don't really know what the status is right now. And now I'm just thinking back on that experience. And I, so I've come into uh, Bellingham and I hope to help with AAC initiatives as an OT, AT, SLP wannabe. <laughs> and um, I reached out to you, Chris, because I don't feel like I have the, um, I was feeling really, I, I saw the power of that approach and I didn't feel enabled to make such a change in Bellingham. And that could be because of the circumstances we're all in right now. Um, but I knew that I needed help from SLPs and that's why I went to this meeting and said, hey, anyone want to join me? And we're going to have a meeting coming up soon where we get to return to this topic of what would it look like to be more coordinated. So sorry, that's a long way of saying, Chris, I got you <laughs> in because of the uh, webinar we were in a couple weeks ago where this topic came up. And so I just wanted to see, does this kind of change kind of necessarily take 12 years because I, I wouldn't want to go in and disrupt a student's established system. So how do I, how do I help teams with my particular background to make those more, um, more personal decisions about systems while we're trying to affect a systems level change? Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. hope that makes sense. And do you want me to kind of address what it looks like, what we do now mostly? Yeah. Yeah, you're, oh, wow. I was, that you took the, took the question right out of my mouth, Corinne. <laughs> oh, great. Um, so I'm thinking ahead. So it, it is very different across the district. There is no set standard. There is no specific way that we go about selecting devices for uh, students. One of the ways that I have run into throughout my career here is that the, the student goes down to Children's Hospital down in Seattle. They receive an AAC evaluation down at Children's. Um, sometimes, I mean, there's a there's a main gal that I know that usually does most of those evaluations. And then they make a recommendation. They come back here with a report and we read that report and say, okay, she's saying they need um, LAMP or she needs Proloquo to go or, um, you know, what whatever it may be. And then we as a district find a way to get the child that or the parent does it through private insurance. And then we have that device to, with that student. That's the way it's happened a lot. Uh, for a while there, we did have Proloquo to go on most of the SLPs iPads that I recall, and we would try it out. But at least when I was trying it out years ago, I didn't know what I was doing. And I was told, here, use this Proloquo to go. And I didn't really know what to do. We've had been PEX trained in the district. And so I think the first go-to is to go to PEX, try that first, and then go from there. So I think as a district, we put a lot of pressure on the parents to receive that children's evaluation. And then we go from there and there's no set system. For example, I, um, I'm a part-time employee. I work two days a week. 
and I have 20 kids and how many did I say? Seven different communication devices, like systems. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot. Yeah, and, totally. Can I ask um, a little, some demographic information? So how large is your school district? Like in the number of like schools that you serve? Well, it's about 11,000 students. Okay. So I'm going to guess maybe what? Eight schools? I'd say 20-ish. 20? More, yeah. even more than that. Okay. We have yeah. three high schools, three middle schools. I can look it up real quick if you'd like. I'm not sure how many, how many. I was ready with some other statistics, like (laughs) students with disabilities, but I don't have the school number. What is your support system look like? Meaning, do you have a, like, uh, Amy, are you the assistive technology person with the OT background sort of thing for all of those schools? Yeah. So my demo is, I really like the work. And um, as a point one last year, I felt that there was always more to do. And so right now I'm really struggling to cram it into the point five. Sure. Sure. I mean, districts that size might have a person that is a full-time, you know, an FTE. Um, They might have a small team, right? And it sounds like you're a team of half. (laughs) Exactly. And so Corinne and I were just like fantasizing about having a team one day that... (laughs) with an SLP like Corinne, so. 14 elementary schools with five life skills of classes, I think. Like five placements, there's multiple classes in the buildings for the Mm -hmm. elementary schools. So I'm gonna make some other assumptions here and tell me if these are right assumptions or no, not really, it's not that way here in our neck of the woods. So in our neck of the woods, there's, um, we've been struggling with turnover and acquisition of SLPs, meaning, People don't stay that long, you know, Uh, they move to uh, either they go to private practice or they retire or they move because their partner moves or whatever. Um, Do you feel like you have a consistent team there of SLPs or has the turnover rate been something that's been a little bit of a barrier? Um, I would say we have a pretty consistent base. Uh, People come here and they stay for the most part. I mean, of course, we have a few that come and go, but for the most part, I would say our base has stayed pretty consistent. And if you had to ballpark that number, where would you be? Like, oh, we probably got maybe 25 SLP, something like that. Oh, no, we think we have 14 or 15. I would have to count them out, all of them. I mean, obviously I know them, but... um, (laughs) I've never counted them and I could, I can't even please name them all and don't leave anybody out. Yep. I'll make sure to get (laughs) all of them. Um, but that's not equal to the number of FTE. I don't know if that's relevant, but you know, there's some, do I know the FTE? I don't. That's okay. I mean, I'm just looking at calculate it if you need it. No, 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 no. I think it's just ballparking it. So, so everyone, so myself and everyone listening kind of has a, a picture of what your district looks like. Uh, okay. So, Corinne, have you heard of this specific language system first approach? And are you, what are your thoughts on it or not really? I have not. And unfortunately, I did not see the podcast prior to this. So I would have listened to it if I'd seen it, but I I unfortunately hadn't. Um, Just what Amy has kind of briefly told me. So the general idea behind it, I mean, there's a lot behind it, but um, just the general notion is that many people who are making selections on AAC, maybe like from 2010, maybe before 2010 through 2014, like 
before 2014, 2015, what they were doing was, I think a lot of people were doing this, were kind of taking a best guess at what the AAC system might be, um, doing sort of uh, an evaluation, probably like they might be doing at that at the, I, I mean, I don't know the the particular structure or the protocols at that uh, hospital that you mentioned, but often it's like, bring a student in, we're going to try a bunch of stuff, we're going to take data on the one that they seem to do best at, and then we're going to suggest that's the one they try. And I question the validity of that approach. With what we know about motor planning and who are AAC users that are very functional on the back end, one of the things we hear them say is you got to keep the buttons in the same spot. And if you move the buttons around, it means I have to relearn where the buttons are. So tie that into an evaluation process, trying app number one plus app, then try taking that away and trying app number two and app number three leads to a lot of questions like, well, how long did we try app number one? You know, And why did we choose that as app number one to try first when when we could have tried app number two first and did that does trying app number one influence the results of app number two um how long did we try it for um what was the implementation look like for each of those there's so many variables that go into the selection process that that it really raises questions about the scientific nature of it you know and so what i think was happening prior to 2015 well i think it still happens today but just in a greater greater scope before 2015 was and i'm just picking that day you know what i mean that 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 year was people sort of going well i know prolo quo and i think i could do better at teaching prolo quo i'm just picking that as an app like it could be just it could be lamp it could be touch jet whatever i'm more familiar with this particular app therefore i think this student might do better with this particular app because i'm better at teaching it um because i know it better and actually our system knows it better our paraprofessionals the speech therapists that i work with the ot's that i work with we all know that system better so therefore i'm going to suggest that system but this is the big shift before 2015 that sort of practice was really um, frowned upon. Like you shouldn't really do that. You should look at all apps and pick the one that's best for the student. And that sort of, I call it like a shame cycle. Like you, you, you know, we're just going to shame you for knowing that one app as opposed to embrace the fact that you know this one app really well. So, so you take that notion of like, well, let's pick something that we know really well, but we're not going to force a student that it doesn't work for to use it. Right. So that marries with this other idea of a tiered approach. So uh, do you have MTSS in your in your neck of the woods, multi-tiered system of supports? Does that ring any bells or not really? Do we do we embrace that, Corinne, in Bellingham? Uh, we definitely it, it rings bells. I don't know that I've been inconsistency is the name of the game sometimes. And within across different schools, different groups, meetings, child study could be called MDT, could be called all sorts of different things. So, so MTSS, you may have heard the term RTI, right? Response to oh, yeah. intervention. So MTSS, the way I think of it is just a way to organize your resources. So uh, a tier one resource is something that's available to every single student in your district. You know, I've heard people joke that smiles are a tier one resource, right? Because everybody gets access to smiles, right? Now laughter is a tier one resource. Can you think of something in your district that just everybody gets? You don't have to say it out loud, but just can you think of a resource like that? That's a tier one support. Like everyone gets a Chromebook in our district tier one support. Tier two would be certain groups of students get that. And that to me sounds a little bit like what you were saying in your previous school district, those universal core boards. 
like it's sort of a tier one, but it's not every student needs a universal core board. These groups of students, AEC users get a universal core board. So it's a tier two resource. And then tier three is only individual specific students get this resource. Um, and that might be like a high tech AAC system where someone off has gone off to, to Seattle and they've been, this is just for this specific student. Is that, so you can see the framework there. Well, when you look at technology in general over the last mm, uh, easy 20 years, uh, there's this flow, there's pattern that exists with, per, with um, students with disabilities and this, this approach. And that is what traditionally are tier three supports eventually become tier one supports. So it flows in a direction, it's not static. So for instance, like um, uh, touch screens, right? Back in the day, like Corinne, you, you said you've got 10 years experience. Do you remember magic touch windows, putting those over a computer? So students who, who could not control a mouse might hit a touch screen, right? But mm -hmm. now we all have touch screens, you know? What started out as a tier three thing, only individual students got it, has moved to a tier one thing where we have touchscreen Chromebooks. People around the world are using touchscreen devices, right? Another example, I'll speak to Amy's neck of the woods here, right? Amy, back in the day, uh, your OT friends would re have recommended like vestibular discs for kids that can't sit still, right? Or, or, or who have trouble, can't sit still, who have yeah. who trouble sitting still, right? Well, now we say, well, geez, flexible seating is just a thing we do now in our, in our, especially elementary schools is like, why not everybody sit on a disc? And why not everyone get a choice whether you want to stand or sit? And we can put tennis balls on, on chairs so you can rock back and forth, right? You, we, we build that in. It, Something that started with students with disabilities blossomed to something that's just good for everybody. And I could go on, I could do a whole podcast just on the things that have moved in that direction. Um, word prediction, I bet you used word prediction today when you were texting. Text to speech, when you hit the little microphone and you text to your loved ones today, right? All those things back in the day were student. So what if we applied that to AAC? What if we said these tier three strategies, let's move them down to be a tier one. So you take these two notions where we're not going to shame people for knowing an app or a couple apps and being really bad that I don't know every app out there. And we're going to say this, this notion that we can move from a, a tier three strategies or resources to become tier one. And it sort of, sort of leads us to, well, what if we got really good at one particular app or two, but let's say pick one. And that's what we use sort of universally as our go-to. We're not waiting for an evaluation for months. We know this kid needs something right now. Let's not wait to see what Seattle has to say. Let's give them something right now. Um, not necessarily do an evaluation to figure that out. Just you get this unless we know that it wouldn't work. So for instance, if we knew that a student needed... Um, I don't know, uh, had trouble targeting, maybe we'd need something where you could adjust the cell size. And if we had picked, let's say, lamp words for life where you cannot adjust the, the cell size, I mean, without, I mean, you can adjust the cell size by getting a different piece of hardware, but you know what I mean? Like you can't easily adjust the, the cell size. So if, if we had picked lamp words for life as our tier one approach, and our tier one resource, then what we would do is say, okay, that doesn't work for this kid. We're going to move up the, the chain. We're going to use a, a tier three strategy. What, what else could we use? So we're going to use Prolo Quo or vice versa. Like if we picked Prolo Quo as our universal support, then you know what? We really don't think this student is going to work 
ProLoCo is going to work for this student. We think this student needs this particular tool instead. You always have that option, but you're not waiting. You're starting with something. You're not going through a lengthy evaluation process that has question marks about whether it's effective or not anyway. Does that make sense? That's the idea behind it. I'd like to offer a few more details about our context. We, as of this year, are now one-to-one -one with iPads for pre-K through first grade. Previously, any student with an iPad would have gone through a process, you know, with basically they were provided to students who needed the accommodation. And so now we have that. And so I, I anticipate- Tier three to tier one, tier three to tier one, right? <laughs> yeah. I anticipated along with that an increase in requests for AAC apps because now I imagine teams recognizing that the student had the device, it's just a little step to then add this app. Well, you know, obviously it takes more work than that, but um, uh, another bit of context is that my ability to provide apps for trials, which is, I'd like to t talk more about trials and what that should look like in this concept, but it's limited to just a handful of devices that have the apps installed. And um, technically speaking, we can push and pull apps. So I, I'm interested in seeing if, do we need to increase our resources, get more apps that we can then more casually put on a student's personal or individually assigned device so they can do a trial rather than um, struggling to meet the need with a limited set of iPads. So I just, I'm coming at this this topic thinking, how can I make this easier for staff to access what they need for students to get access sooner? Then of course there's the, the work and the, the, the exciting topic of implementation. <laughs> I'd like to be focusing my efforts there and not just being a resource manager <laughs> as in my role. So sure. Um, so a couple thoughts there, Amy. So the first, uh, some words of caution as we talk about those things. So this, as one-to-one -one initiatives roll out across the country, and as they rolled out, this question keeps coming up, right? Like, well, a student with a disability, do they need, um, we've given them an iPad for their academics. So let's give them an, an iPad, let's give them an app and let's use it. We can, now we don't have to give them, um, we can use that one-to-one -one device as they're, you know where I'm going with this, Amy? Yes, totally. And I didn't mean to misrepresent it. Um, you're right that we should always have a second communication device and not use that communication device for access to instruction. So maybe my assumption was wrong that there would be an increase in requests. It seemed to me like um, that there would be a transition period where people would see just an iPad, but you're you're totally right. And I, I that catches a maybe an error in my thinking. No, I don't think so. I think that's, I mean, that's that's a common thought, in fact, that we've had to, um, like even in our neck of the woods, with, wait, should, shouldn't we be using two iPads? Are you saying we should be using two iPads? But yes, that's exactly what we're saying. Yeah. Um, because it, every other every other student could use their, their voice and right. engage with the iPad. So this student should, if it's going to be equitable, this student should as well. Um, I think, well, go ahead. Add, there's yeah. like the, in technology, they talk about like the, curve of adoption or something like I just assume that with more iPad users maybe someone would also consider getting an iPad for communication more readily than if they had never used an iPad so yeah that was totally. my 
that totally makes sense, right? Oh my gosh, Amy, you're right. Because it'd be like, oh, I never would have thought that the student could have done direct access and clicked on these buttons for their academics. Right. But now they prove that they can. So can we do that again? Now that we know that the student can use direct select, can we direct select on an AAC device? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, let's see, you brought up another point there about the evaluation and trials. Did you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I just feel ill-equipped to be um, kind of coaching our our clinicians through that. Our, when people ask for equipment, I, I'll do whatever I can to get them what they need, but then like a recommended, so I had re-listened to the podcast today, Chris, and you were um, talking about how that's maybe a dated concept, a trial, and maybe it pairs better with those more expensive systems and a different model. And so um, I think that we have promoted the concept of a trial because we want to show our rationale for a certain course of action. And um, I like to take a pretty, as an AT person, I'd like to just functional observation. You know, I'm just looking at any form of evidence really. And so I tend to be pretty informal about it, but I would like to be, I'd like to know how to um, guide our teams through the process of this, of making selections. And that's maybe why I'm inclined towards a more consistent first approach so that I can just get past that awkwardness and then look at more specifics of the context. Corinne, maybe this leads us to if someone got a device that wasn't through an outside source, an outside agency, what would that process look like besides that? Um, basically what we've already covered and what Amy's already talked about, um, real life example, we had a little boy come in kindergarten. He has an iPad because all kindergartners have an iPad. And he showed, he started practicing on his teacher's iPad that had Proloquo. And he, we started to see that he was doing really well with it. And in just for expediency only, we put Proloquo, we had the same discussion that you guys have already talked about. Like we shouldn't put it on his iPad, but we want it now. And, and so we just requested Proloquo and it went on his iPad and he's using it right now. And we know in our mind down the road, we need to get a second one, but resources as, as they are, we just went with it. Um, but no, we might try to do a trial. I have another student, a fifth grader, who I'm doing a trial with one of the iPads Amy mentioned to try to see if it will work for him. Um, or it's just your best guts guess. Uh, I, we're going to try protocol. So let's just do it. And we have it on our iPad or, or something like that. And so it's, or, Hey, Johnny down the, you know, he's using this device. So let's use his device to try and see if, um, Susie can use Johnny's device. Mm -hmm. Um, not as much with COVID obviously, because we're not as close, but, um, there is no specific standard to do it. It's just, Hey, Amy, can I have Proloquo? And then she puts it on a device and we go and we we run with it. So let me make sure I understand. Let's take this, this example that you used of this student. If the student happened to be in a classroom where uh, there was a, there was a lamp user and the student went over and said, well, I'm going to use this lamp app because I have no other option. Like there's no other tool for me to use. So I, we could just as easily have picked lamp words for life or touch chat or whatever the tool might've been that, that could, that just happened to be in the environment. Is that 
sound possible? For the kindergartner? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, definitely possible. And then the the fifth grader, we went with lamp for him just because of influence from another student and using a some, you know, a student that was similar to him with autism. He's using lamp, it's working well for him. So let's try it with his other kid. Mm -hmm. Um because the diagnosis is similar. And that's so, what I'm hearing across the district from so many different classrooms. I'll even get a request initially that changes because then they discover what a peer is using in that classroom. And so we wind up with just this real varied approach. Very. So, okay. So um, I think there's some ideas here. So one idea might be um, to look at your numbers of what apps are out there most consistently across the district. And that's one avenue that you could pick and say, instead of like haphazardly, this kid might get this, say our, our specific language system first approach is we're going to pick this system because it comes out in the wash most frequently. Um, that's one way. Yep. Corinne, Can I you, just, you don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> well, I don't want to interrupt. Um, hey, I'm getting used to my Zoom etiquette here. Um, <laughs> So just to give you just a little bit to, to speak to that, I can tell you right now that at the elementary level, there's a more proloquo. And at the high school level, there's more lamp. Okay. Which is challenging because you don't want to switch as a kid goes to high school. But if they're all familiar with lamp, you look at where we're going. So anyways, I just wanted to, to speak to that challenge. Well, and I'll just say there that I would love to assume that that... Uh, app number two in the secondary level, whatever apps, if there's an app number one elementary and app number two at the secondary level, that eventually the secondary level will fade away and it'll just become app number one. But I, I doubt that's the case. In fact, I think the SLPs will be, or whoever, whoever's working with app number two will sort of dig their heels in and go, oh, well, that thing didn't work back then. I'd rather them switch now in middle school and high school and have the rest of their life with the thing that I'm more familiar with. Do you see what I'm saying? Um, which again is a problem, right? And I mean, how do I not do the same thing in this desire that I have to be consistent to provide better support? I feel like I could just be part of the same cycle saying we're going to switch. Yeah. So, okay. So you might be you might have to do that kind of ripping the Band-Aid off at first. The question I'd ask you there, Amy, is um, what evidence, evidence for each individual student that you might be thinking of switching to become a, a, switching a system, what evidence do you have to suggest that the app that they're using, it works for them, that they've established motor plans, that they're using it effectively? If, if you can answer that question like, all right, I'm thinking of changing this app for this student um, so that we have something more consistent. Um, I'm not going to do that for kids that are, there's evidence that they're making progress, evidence that their language is growing, evidence that, um, that they've established these motor plans and that, they'll, that it'll cause you know, significant regression or regression at all. Um, those sorts of things would be alarms to not change. I wonder how many kids are like that though. I wonder how many kids are not the opposite where it's like, you go down to the room. Yeah, they use it sometimes. Yeah, they're not really you. They don't really use that thing. Do you know what I mean? How many of those conversations you're wrestling with throughout your district? Uh, hopefully, you're not. Hopefully, everyone's using it consistently. I get the impression that it's not that way, and you'd be the anomaly. I think if it was, you know. <laughs> I wanted to be clear about what I was saying there too. I want to make sure everyone understands so as no one's listening that Chris is suggesting that you take away a student's communication device. I, I'm not, you know, there might be another approach as well 
which is this phased approach. Like maybe you just can't switch to a specific learning for the entire district, you know, specific language system first approach. It might be that, okay, as we onboard new students or as we're looking at students who are, who are not yet using uh, a robust language system, what we consider for these students is a um, specific language system first approach.